0: Please.
1: through the record, Simon. So, uh, "Made for Pleasure" uh, was the next one, and um, that 15, one, um,
0: 2015, I think that was.
1: Um, let's do another. It was pretty cool.
0: Oh yeah, which is a kind of um, sort of jazz, funky, um, soundtracky type. It's sort of a bit, a bit Quincy Jones. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of guess like a, a sort of spy thriller from the 70s. Yeah. It's that kind of sound, isn't it? And um, that was inspired by our horn section. Um, Mike Olmos is a trumpet player from the Bay Area and Joe Cohen, uh, and they came in. And I think that was, what was different about that is that I believe that we had the horns in the same room at the same time when we were jamming in writing. Whereas usually if we've ever had horns, they've come in afterwards and they've overdubbed and they've come up with lines on top of what we've already recorded. Whereas I think this was maybe the only album where we included them in the jamming and writing process, which is what, which is probably where Let's Do Another comes from because that's, that is quite led by the horns. Uh, that was recorded in New Orleans. Um, and I do remember the, when we first showed up, that we had nothing. So it was the, one of the quickest albums, in, in terms of setup, in terms of getting everything ready and getting a drum sound, sometimes that, that used to take days. For, the, for Breaks For The Border, it took days to get the drum sound and the drum sound wasn't even particularly good at the end of it. This one, within a couple of hours, everything was ready. They had vintage drums in there. I just had to pick some a combination of things, set, set them up. There was a grand piano, a Fender Rhodes, a a Wurlitzer, Hammond B3. All that gear was there in the room and lovely vintage amps. Within two hours, the engineer said, "Okay, right, we're ready to go. And we looked at each other and said, has anyone got any tunes? And nobody did. (laughs) And uh, it was just a sinking feeling of, shit, we're here for a week. And we've got to make an album what are we going to do? And we, we jammed a bit. Anyway, the first day was kind of a bit of a, um, just a bit of a washout. Like we left that with not really having achieved anything. And I remember going back to the, the apartment that we were staying at and like just out of desperation, I started writing lyrics. And um, there's a song on there that is sung by Charlie Lowry. Um, Called. can you see the track list there Just Gotta Run Just Gotta Run I think it is it's a sort of northern soul type Mm -hmm. sounding tune Anyway, so I remember writing that overnight after the first disastrous day where we hadn't come up with anything but then during the course of the week that whole album came together sort of out of nowhere and it's one of my favourite records and I I really like the sound and I love the way the horns are involved and the vocals and all that
1: Yeah, it's it's one of my favorites, too. I like the way the cover looks also. It's got that cool red, kind
0: of... Red neon. Well, I I remember um, photography is my side gig, and we came up with the idea with a designer for uh, just the CD neon strip club sign, and I needed to find a background for it. Um, And... uh, I went to a rough part of Leeds with my camera in the rain and I found this closed down row of, of shops. And I just took a load of pictures and the one that uh, is on the album cover is, is, this CD place with graffiti on the, on the boarded. Uh, and they, and then the, the neon sign was, was just done graphically and superimposed on it.
1: But I think it just—it's one of those ones that just sets the kind of mood for the music too. It's just very cohesive that way. And um, other tracks I got to mention, "High and Wide." I like that one a lot.
0: Yeah, that's an, uh, a nice. Um, if ever we have horns on a live show, we tend to start the set with that tune because it just comes straight in, bam, with a just like a real a punch, a horn punch stab thing, and then. It's a high energy groove, um, so that's still that's still one that we know how to play. And also uh, pho, baby. Yeah, so uh, pho, as in pho, the Vietnamese um, broth. We we found a, a place near the studio, and we had lunch there nearly every day. And um, Joe, our keyboard player, came back with feeling really bloated, and kind of lifted up his shirt and he said, I've got a, f- a, f- a faux baby. <laughs>
1: um,
0: and, and he, I think he came up with the, the, that tune. So whenever anyone comes up with a tune, they generally have to supply a title for it. So that's where that came from. Came really? Uh,
1: I like the way it builds. I want to build nicely.
0: Yeah. And that, um, the groove on that, I think I, I was quite influenced by the Purdy thing because it's a, it, it's a bit of a shuffly. I remember I'd definitely been working on that in the run up to recording that album. And I thought, oh, I'm going to try and get one of those in <laughs> to uh, to this record, see if it gets allowed. And it was.
1: You did another live one. Now, distinguished for myself and the listeners, viewers, you have uh, Master Sounds, live records, and you also have some session records. So. Obviously, the, the session ones are, are more intimate. Maybe it's just you guys playing. I mean, you play live anyway when you make your studio records. So. No,
0: yes. You wouldn't think you would need to make the distinction. Um, so there are two session records. They, they were recorded in Nashville. There's the Nashville session, and then there's the Nashville session two. And um, the idea of those two is there was a small audience, in, in but it is in a recording studio. So it's a... It's an analog studio recording on directly onto tape. The mixing took place during the day, as in getting levels. And so when we committed it to tape, it was just a stereo recording. Um, so there's no uh, master, there's no multi-track situation at that point. Um, and what we wanted was to play as if we were doing a live set but we wanted the sound of the studio, the tape recording, so that it sounded like a that, like the sound that we like from the music we listen to, the, the, that sort of 60s, 70s sound. Um, but we wanted the energy and the arrangements of what we do when we're playing our tunes that we're really familiar with, that we've been playing for years, and that we've developed arrangements for over the years. We wanted that to be captured. Because all of, all of the songs on there, they were recorded just after we wrote them in the studio in the 15 years leading up to it. And that was that they're almost just a springboard of the idea of what the song then became when, after we played it for 10 years. So we thought, let's get a record of this. We can do it in one evening. And that's in some ways my favorite record, because it is what the band should sound like. And uh, it's, it's what the, the audience taper recordings, if I had my way, they'd all sound like that, but they can't because it's just a, a digital recorder at the back of a room with, with two mics and it's not crunched onto tape like it is in the studio. So the Nashville session is the best of all possible worlds. It's, we're really familiar with the material We're in the middle of a tour, so we're very familiar with each other. We're at the top, we're on our A game in terms of communication with each other. There's a bit of atmosphere because there's maybe 15 people in the room, so we've got someone to play to, and the sound is exactly what we want. So that, I hope, explains those two records.
1: Absolutely.
0: And the reason there's two is that the first one has Hammond organ as the only keyboard sound, and then the second one has no Hammond, and it's all Pianos and synthesizers, so it's different material.
1: Can I hold hold for like two minutes, Simon.
0: Sure, I'll be right back. No problem. Okay. Uh, hey, can I go to the bathroom at this point?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. sorry
0: about Hi. that oh that's weird I didn't see which door you left I was thinking you were gonna come from that the door that I can see in the shop but I guess that's a closet is it
1: It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, right, let me start recording again here actually I had gone um, I was trying to find you know I have uh, most of your stuff on digital but I have the first CD somewhere that I got, and I was trying to find that because I don't remember which one was the first one I had gotten and, and I couldn't I ran downstairs. I couldn't find it so
0: anyway, have you seen us live?
1: No, only heard it live, not seen. so it looks like we're we're still recording okay. Yep, we're good, okay. Um, edit that out. So, we were just finishing up talking about the session records and how that's like the best of all worlds, it uh, sounds like. And, um, you know, on that, I think it's the first one, yeah, the Vandenberg Suite is really a nice track.
0: That's such a fun Track to play live still. Um, and that was so the Van, Dave Vandenberg is the, is the guy who's based in Chicago. He's the one that was responsible for getting us over to the US in 2004. He, uh, he's the one that emailed three weeks after we set up a website and invited us. And he, he got us the opening slot, put us up in his house, drove us around, kind of gave us a career in the States. Um, and we wrote that tune in his basement in 2004 in Chicago and we're still playing it um the uh, yeah the, so the, the only the only bad thing about the session records is that they don't generate any new material and, and as I mentioned before the, at least half the purpose of us making an album is to give us some new tunes to play in the live set um, so the the session records are all existing tunes that have already had some kind of life. Um, and uh, But I, they're great, they're great recordings, I'm really glad, glad we did them. And we managed to, to do them whilst on tour, while we happened to be in Nashville and then happened to have a day off the next day after doing the Nashville show. So there was no extra expense involved in getting everybody together, mm-hmm. bearing in mind we all live in different countries. so making a record now involves the cost of at least moving some of us to where some others of us are to make it, you know.
1: How, how long has, has your bandmate lived in Colorado? Uh,
0: well, he, he, he he's, he, he's lived in the States for probably seven years now, but he started in San Francisco, moved to New Orleans. And then he's been in Denver probably for maybe four years. I think. Um, and our bass player has been in Menorca for at least 10 years. Mm. So the, yeah, re- rehearsal isn't really anything. I mean, maybe we get to rehearse. No, we don't, we know, we don't really get to rehearse. If we're doing an absolute special gig, a one-off thing with loads of guests, then occasionally we might get a few hours to, to run the tunes in advance. But, um, A lot of people do say well how do you rehearse if you live in uh, all these different places and the rehearsal was the 21 years of being together so (laughs) and there's a lot of improvisation anyway so it's a it's a question of communicating on stage rather than having a a, a fixed plan in advance
1: what do you feel is most different about the sound or chemistry of the band today uh, versus 10 or even 20 years at the outset?
0: I think there's just so much more depth to the musical relationships that we have and so much of how we communicate is now instinctive and there's a shared vocabulary that has been developed that is deeper. so it just might be that we we exist more like a single organism now in terms of the bass, drums, guitar and keyboards and how it all just, how we all complement each other without really having to think about it or consciously write parts for each other. It's just Eddie will start playing guitar, I will... Join in on drums and people join in on bass, and it'll sort of immediately be right in a way that you just don't get with four musicians who all might be quite good but haven't met before.
1: Mm-hmm. Renewable energy was one that came out just a couple of years ago now, and um, I like that cover too. It's pretty.
0: Yeah, the sort of in cool instruments cover. cover. Yeah. yeah.
1: To me, it seemed
0: a little jazzier, you know. Um, Yeah, is it um, almost completely instrumental? I think. Um, And there's and there's horns on it. Yeah, horns. Quite a lot of horns. I think. Yeah, where the um, when Mike almost the trumpet player is uh, involved that gives it a jazzier feel because he's from a jazz background and he had a lot of input into renewable energy so that's that explains that slight shift in the sound but we do waver like from funkier to jazzier to smoother to rougher we we kind of navigate a way through over the years with with that kind of slight change in in sound
1: uh, well, speaking of jazz, living that jazz life is a highlight for me,
0: and that I think is a trumpet feature. Um, so, probably, uh, if I'm th- if I'm thinking about the right track, it's a kind of JB's style uh, vamp with trumpet over the top of it. Does that does that ring a bell? Yeah, because I haven't listened to it probably since we since we recorded it. Um, but that's a bit like the way you were talking about Josus that track which is, which is Joe playing keyboards over the top of that vamp. I think living that jazz life is a similar thing. It's just a groove that we believe in and stick to. And it's yeah heavily JB's influence, but with a jazzier rather than a funky feel to the top end.
1: And then the funk 49
0: that's the Joe Walsh it, song. Right? The James Gang is the yeah, James the Joe King Walsh's Gang. yeah. So that uh, our our guitarist wife um that's one of her favorite songs. None of us had heard it cuz it didn't make it really it, it, it's not well known in Britain. But hmm. when she said you should do this tune and whenever we have played it live audiences obviously recognize it and it's clear they re- react to it immediately and we're like oh wow okay yeah this is really a well-known tune and for us it was just we'd never heard of it and and uh, we responded to it um, and again without listening to it too carefully so our version does something slightly different i think melodically because we haven't really listened to it properly <laughs>
1: That's okay. uh, You know, to me, there's no point in doing a cover unless you really bring something fresh to it.
0: Yeah. You know, good. Yeah. I (laughs) said these two as well. But I mean, that
1: that song, though, in the States, you probably know by now, but I mean, it's been an album oriented rock staple ever since, you know, the 1970s. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And we still, we do still sometimes do it, but. Eddie's Eddie sounds good on the record I think but w- when he does it live he's, he's a, sometimes a bit too raspy and struggles to to reach the notes and now we've got Lamar with us uh, it, it's it just feels wrong for Eddie to sing a lead vocal when we've got an actual singer
1: <laughs> yeah so for shake it as we touched on earlier but that's the latest and uh, great at, uh, well not Greatest is uh, subjective, but um, uh, it's funkier than the previous one. And it's got the vocals, like you mentioned, so definitely um, uh, it almost seemed to me like you guys are trying to be different to an extent from one studio record to the next, you know, still staying within, you know, this certain vernacular, but not, you know, being a carbon copy, you know,
0: well, absolutely. Cause, cause the point of it is that we don't get bored. And so we, we got, we got to the point where we were about to record Shake It and we <laughs> just said, we can't do another instrumental album. Like we just, what, do, what do we have to say? And we didn't have anything to say, but so it, it, it was, it was essential that we did something different then because um, we, we needed it to be fresh for us, um, and uh, it remains to be seen what that will be for the next one. But um, but, shake it certainly shook us all up and gave us a whole new reason to believe in it again. And uh, and those songs are so much fun to play live. And we we have, in fact, I think yes, okay, that's the probably the only album where we have performed the entire album live from start to finish in album order there's no tracks there that are just album just for the studio we, we've done all of them live and they've all worked as well mm. so um but to do that we have to have um the horns uh so on this one who did we have jason mingledorf is a, is a uh, tenor sax player and flute player from new orleans and Mike Olmos, uh, our um, long-term collaborator on trumpet, um, and we need percussion as well for a couple of the tracks. And we we had a guy. There's a there's a band called Thievery Corporation out of D.C. Um, mm-hmm. and he is the kit player for that band, but he's a really great percussionist as well, and um, he uh, played on the record and we've had him on a couple of live shows and it's great when that happens. Yeah. And yeah. That, that, when we have that, we can do the whole thing. And um, uh, we did that for the album launch in the, in London and I think we maybe did it in Denver too. But yeah, that's um, yeah. every other album has at least two tracks that we have never performed live. That we just did them in the studio, Eddie produced them into something that worked and then we never looked at them again um but yeah this album is different
1: i really like um let's go back
0: oh yeah this uh that's it the swampy inspired by um lee dorsey alan toussaint type groove and songwriting approach um and uh it that uses our gang vocal when we I can't remember if we actually recorded the backing vocals on the record or if that was Lamar, but I know that when we do it live, it just sounds just as good as the record with all four of us doing the the gang vocal chorus and it's fun to do it, it, and it feels real.
1: And permission to land?
0: That um, That's the percussion feature. Um, it's got Tim Barley's just sort of responding uh to the rest of the band in a kind of question and answer thing and that is super fun also jb's inspired absolutely in terms of the the way the groove is kind of uniform and just repeats and and doesn't mess around just kind of sticks to uniformity but with that solid belief (laughs)
1: You asked me about seeing you guys live, which regret- regrettably I have not. Um, have you guys played um, the North Charlotte area much?
0: We've done, I think we've done uh, two shows in Charlotte. D- do you know a venue called The Visualite?
1: Yeah, I'm actually probably going there next week. Yeah.
0: So I know we've played there um, probably five years ago or more. Um, and then I also remember that we. Have played in Charlottesville, and in the early days, we didn't really understand. You just see them on the tour schedule, Charlotte and Charlottesville, and think Virginia, got,
1: though, Yeah,
0: yeah, in Virginia, but it's not that far away, is it? It's a few hours, is it?
1: Or, um, it might be four hours,
0: yeah. Um, but I remember getting a bit mixed up about oh, did when did we play well there's also
1: charleston which people mix up too which is just down south
0: yes now we've played charleston endless times because they have a venue called the poor house and um i feel like we've probably played charleston more than 10 times um not sure why because some we don't choose as such which which venues have us back over and over again um because some fans complain and say, why don't you ever come here? And I don't know what the answer is. It was, it'll just be that it presumably it didn't work out very well or the, the booking agent can't line it up on the date when we need the show and the venue's available or something. It's just down to factors, mysterious factors.
1: Yeah. Well, if you
0: come to Cheryl, I'm there. Um, do, you, do you ever travel to places like New York for shows?
1: Not just for a show, no.
0: No. So you're not like those people that I talked about who drove five hours to see the Greyboy All-Stars?
1: I'm not. I have I I have something called responsibilities.
0: Got it. You know. Understood. <laughs> so we'll have to come to you then.
1: Um, no, I wish I could do that. I my my limit generally is like two hours.
0: Right. Okay. So on, Charlotte. Which
1: could be Asheville, and a lot of cool shows
0: happen in yeah, Asheville. Yes, sure. we did. We did do Asheville quite recently, like October. <clears throat> um, the, I've got some video of that online. That I'll I'll send you the links because we that show was multi-camera filmed and recorded really well.
1: Excellent. So, Simon, do you have a particular favorite album? Uh, you mentioned Ten Years On was probably one of your favorites. Is there a definitive favorite album and/or track in the repertoire?
0: Hmm. No, I, there's no way I could choose a, a, a definitive track. But I would say if I was if I was going to um, if I wanted someone who's never heard the band, and I, I, the one that I would want to represent the band would be the Nashville Session Volume One. It's just called the Nashville Session, but that would be. That would be the one that I'd be most proud of saying, this is the band I've been in for 20 years, and this is what it should sound like and does sound like, I would say.
1: So do you think that's the best place for a newbie to start, or should they start somewhere else?
0: No, I would. I think it is a good place for them to start, yeah. Okay. And if they like the sound, then there's so much more for them to explore, like what we've just been talking about for the past hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they don't like the sound, then I would say it's, it's probably not going to be for them. <laughs> and they don't need to bother with any of the others. I don't know if you would agree with that, but that's how it feels to me.
1: Yeah, well, I would say that or, you know, I'm partial tenures on or <clears throat> or um, the um, New Orleans uh,
0: one. The Made for Pleasure. Yeah.
1: What um, what would you say are your top maybe three albums by other artists of all time?
0: Well, because I'm a piano player as well, still, um, but I don't play funk or jazz on the piano. Um, one of my well, probably I would say my all-time favorite album is "Hunky Dory" by David Bowie from 1971, and that is a real piano album. Uh, the guy playing on it is Rick Wakeman, who's from the, the prog rock band, Yes. And his his piano arrangements on that are just amazing. And um, I'm not a huge Bowie fan. Like I, there, are, there are a couple of other Bowie albums I like, but you know, some people are just absolutely adore everything he does, that's not me. But that album is my, I don't know, something about getting to know it when I was about 18. And I, I think when you're 18 and it, an album speaks to you, it sort of implants itself for life, doesn't it? Because that is the time when you're probably the most receptive to um, to things like that, to cultural things. Um, so there's that album. And then from the funk and soul point of view, um, I would say uh, Jimmy McGriff's Electric Funk, which I would urge you to check out. Is there a third? Let's think. Um, no, I'm, I, I'm I'm drawing a blank just because there's too many, there's too many options. And I just don't know where to pull the third album in without <laughs> <two's>, sounding like.
1: <laughs> two, two's pretty good. Um, did you ever go back and you know listen to you know drummers though like you know the Billy Cobams and uh, Lenny White's and these you know really prodigious the, drummers? See, the,
0: the, I find um, the, the kind of the technical, flashy fusiony stuff doesn't really turn me on um, as as much as the JB just tasty tasty groove that's quite simple and consistent and yeah i i I don't want flashy i I want i want it to just be that everyone is in service to the groove and the groove it moves you and so individual super flashy playing doesn't really speak to me so no the answer to that um And I don't know if that's why I never learned how to do that myself, or maybe because I wasn't particularly good at that, That's why I didn't like the music. I don't know which way around it came, but I would much rather hear somebody playing something really straightforward, that's just exactly right with the other musicians. That's
1: my answer. And is is the group, Better known and more famous uh, in America than in the UK, or how's the fan base flush out?
0: Yeah, it's its main so our main audience is in the US, and I would say Bay Area, Denver, New York, New Orleans are the sort of key places where people seem to care about us. Um, we do one one uh, visit to the uk a year we play a Leeds show which is our original hometown where i am now and we play a london show and um the audience has stayed pretty consistent but there's still maybe four 400 people excuse me a moment um yeah uh it's not grown it hasn't grown in the uk and i guess it probably won't now because we're mainly based in the us um, but the, the American thing, it's been really good to us, and it's kind of taught us how to play differently, to have, a, have I lost you? No, I'm here. I, it's just, you've gone off my screen, hang on, uh, I still see you. There you are. Um, hi. Uh, yeah, so we, we learned how to jam and how to open things out and to really respond to a crowd in in a way that was unique to each event. We learned that in America. And it was because the fans that were coming to see us are into that improvisational thing, the the jam scene. Um, They've come from a sort of Grateful Dead hippie background, but they also like funk and they also like bluegrass and they also like all sorts of different stuff, but they want the musicians having a conversation. And so we learned how to be have these open conversations with each other but to keep it exciting and keep it dynamic and try and control the energy so that it's it's actually telling some kind of story and taking you on a journey and giving you some tension and then release and so we that we've learned all that in in the states prior to coming we would just play our three and a half minute arrangements that were like the record and it was all just about the scratchy vintage punk sound now it's it's a it's a it's it's about that but it's about so much more it's about having this public conversation that everybody can come and and take part in because we need to see the audience when we're playing we we make sure there's light on them because we want to see their faces and we want to see them react to us and react to each other and we want to see each other as well so we don't like the kind of shows where the audience is in complete darkness and and it's all just trippy lights on stage because we can't, see, we need to see each other's fingers, we need to see each other's faces, um, and then we can have a real conversation.
1: Is there one specific unforgettable show or memory from touring that just stands out that you could share?
0: Um, I, I, I do remember that when we played at the Fuji Rock Festival in Japan, um, it was around about the time that Breaks from the Border had come out. So this is maybe 2011. Uh, we played in a, a stage that had maybe a fifteen thousand capacity field, and just as we're getting ready to go on, the field starts to fill up, and it's raining quite heavily, and everybody has umbrellas and or rain hats and raincoats, but they all come file into the field. The field pretty much fills up, and we came on stage. And we started singing, um, take what you need, which is, which is from that album where we did the gang vocals breaks Break from the border. And the album had been out for maybe two months and a significant portion of the crowd are singing along to it. And that was just a real moment of like, Whoa, I, I, we're they know us, they know our song. How has this happened? This is amazing. And, um, so that's that's the one that really sticks in the mind, wow. and the fact that they were willing to stand in the rain.
1: So, do you feel? Do you still have a decent following in Japan?
0: Uh, yeah, we just played actually uh, about a month ago. We did two shows, one in Tokyo, one in Osaka, and uh, yeah, we pulled. I think we had about six hundred people came to the uh, the Tokyo show, packed into this venue. That in the states, the capa- the legal capacity for this room would be no more than three hundred. But because everyone's so tiny in Japan and they're also really well behaved. They all will just stand still with their arms by their sides. Their their fire codes allow them to have way, way more people in in the same uh, in the same size rooms. So um that was a really fun show, the Tokyo one. Um so we'll yeah, we, we tend to go back there every two or three years or so and we sometimes go back to Fuji Rock Festival at um done that two or three times i think but it's mainly the states we cut, the next show we have is uh in new orleans for for jazz fest and we're doing two shows at the house of blues um in, in the first weekend of may and this, the saturday night show starts at about 2 a.m and we'll go on till about 5 or 6 a.m
1: we're gonna travel that one like the other one
0: it's, what did you say? I said, you better
1: not have that as your travel day, like that. No,
0: I, the thing is, I will have arrived the day before the first one. I'm going to try and stay on British time. And then I'll just look at it as like, a it's eight o'clock in the morning. This is breakfast. I'm getting up for my regular day, like I'm at home. But I'm on stage, and it's the middle of the night.
1: <laughs> and anything else uh, coming up for this year? Are you, you're going to do some more shows? You're going to get back in the studio, maybe?
0: Um, we, we do need to make another record. Um I'm not sure when that's going to happen. It will happen in Denver when it does because we now have a um a studio and a house there that um the guitarist has set up because he 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 runs a label there now. Um and uh we will hopefully do some stuff in Europe. Um we're hoping to do some stuff in in July. We're just waiting to hear what what the offers are because um, it I I kind of miss playing in places like France and Italy and spain and germany and we did we did a lot of that in the early days and then we kind of lost touch with the with the scene so it would be nice to do that and to bring lamar who's who's the, the only american in the band to bring him over and show him europe although this is just after brexit happened and we'll probably have to get visas now to work there <laughs> tell me um,
1: how can people keep in touch uh with with you and, and the band and, and all that good stuff
0: Right, so yeah, if anyone is still watching after hearing me ramble on for this long, um you can uh you can find us on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash new master sounds. Um but we also have a fan page called the New Master Fans. So if you if you get into it, you should join that because there are other people who share stuff uh, information about what we're up to and uh, photos and recordings and things from the past and that's been we set that up about less than a year ago and it's, it's proved to be really popular um we have a website newmaster sounds.com we're on instagram and twitter and um youtube so just look for new master sounds and um there's 20 years worth of stuff that wade through you have nothing better to do <laughs>
1: Hey Simon, thank you so much uh, for all this great information and stories and spending the time and congratulations on on 20 years in with the group and wish you continued success.
0: I really appreciate it. Thank you, Scott.
1: Hey, back at Truth and Rhythm headquarters. Thank you for joining us on another magical ride with Truth and Rhythm. Whether you're watching or listening, as always, thank you so much for your continued interest and support. Be sure to subscribe. Go to YouTube. Go to the Funkin' Stuff channel. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes and thrives. Also goodies here like TIR Quick Takes. And if you subscribe, you know what? You get the show before anyone else. It's free. If you love jazz, funk, R&B, soul, you can't miss it. Pass it along. Tell a friend. Tell family. This audience is growing and it is a beautiful thing. All coming together for the love of this great music. Also, if you can throw us a buck or two, we could use the support financially, keeping the lights on, keeping the servers going, all these expenses. If you can help support the program, whatever you can give much appreciated, go to the FunkinStuff.net website on the right hand side of every page. You just click and you can donate through PayPal, credit card, whatever. Very easy to do and so much appreciated. And if you do a sizable donation, I will mention you on the program. Also drop me a line, email me at G at net. Let me know who else you'd like to see on the show, what you enjoy about the music. Let's just kibitz and uh, talk about stuff, you know, talk music. You'll find that I respond very quickly and I much enjoy the uh, rapport and the camaraderie and the interaction. Always remember, this is your show the true music lover so for now that's all the time we have for this one it's a wrap as always scott dr gx goldfine saying keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one